Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back with another episode of Farouk's Big Show coming your way Today, the Michigan basketball team off to their best start in program history. The coaching staff under Jim Harbaugh starting to come together for the 2019 season. Uh, we've got a lot to get to here today. I am Luke Yardy, joined as always by my co-host, Anthony Broom, Chris Castellani. A lot to get here today, boys. Well, how you guys been, man? It's been, it's been a whole week since I've heard from you. How you guys been? My God, I feel like I'm another week older, another week wiser. Uh, God, it's been... You know, this is once the national title game is over, I feel like a lot of people see it and then it's just a dry oasis of nothing for however long it takes for football to be back. But my God, you've got the transfer portal. You've got a, what ended up being a really busy, I think at the, you know, people freaked out over Greg Madison and Al Washington, but I think by the time the week was over, it was all kind of a net positive for Michigan for what ended up happening. Michigan hoops. I mean, we're going to talk about them, but I think the greatest, and I don't want to spend much time on this, but of all the things that we've seen since I've run the website or been in the quote unquote Michigan media, I've never seen anything quite like what we saw on Friday night. And that was like the emphatic dunking of Michigan athletics over, um, I don't even know what to describe the guy as. So I'll just call him what I feel he is. He's a grifter. He's a fraud. He's a hack. Uh, James Yoder. Like I've never seen an entire community co- collectively dunk on someone 
like like what happened on Friday night. It was like it's kind of like when uh, I don't even know what to equate it to. I mean, it was it was glorious. Uh, I don't want to spend more time on it than we need to, but like I just love when bad or when when I'll, I'll just refer to what my tweet said. I will never hesitate to dance on graves when people get what they deserve, especially in our industry. When, it, when it's so competitive, it's so, um, you know, there's so many hardworking people. And then there's always shitheads like him who make stuff up, put damaging stuff out there. So I think that was a big win for the Michigan community. Uh, it's a guy who's been putting damaging stories out there for years. Someone who is historically uh, just a bad guy and a, and not a good person at all. So uh, I've never seen Michigan disavow someone and rebuke someone like that before. I mean, make no mistake about it. When we're up in the press spot, like I love those guys at Michigan, the, the athletic department, that staff, they are so accommodating. They're so good to us. Um, and, and they, they're very open to new media and, and different sites and, you know, you guys know you're on Twitter all the time. There's a hundred different Michigan blogs out there, and most of them are represented uh, on Saturdays in Ann Arbor. Uh, but one guy who's never been represented, one site that's never been represented was Chat Sports, was James Yoder, and and it'll never happen. So kudos to Michigan for that. Um, you know, we're working on right now putting together a you know definitive list of of trustworthy Michigan coverage, the best follows, all that uh, in light of all this because I, I think it's important. I think it's an important public service to provide to know that because they're, you know, Michigan's one of the top four or five athletics programs in the country and they have a huge fan base and there are always going to be people in the darkest corners of the internet that are going to kind of rise to power. Uh, and there's always going to be people that follow those people. But um, I think we have a unique opportunity with our platform to kind of, and a good relationship with Michigan and, and the media out there to kind of let you know, like, Hey, if you hear something from these people, it's legit. If you don't, maybe you should refer to them before you start spreading stuff. So uh, that's my little soapbox and all that. Uh, I'm glad that Michigan did what it did. Uh, make no mistake about it. Like I, I will dance on this grave. I'm stomping on this grave. We, you've seen the Twitter battles with not only, you know, members of our site, but with other media members, Sean Gary's mother was involved in it, threatening players, threatening families. Like that's just not okay. And I've, Big kudos to Michigan for for snuffing that out. Uh, Go ahead, Chris. I was just about to bring you in here. Uh, yeah. Well, no, I, I, because I, I, I know very little about this guy. It sounds like that's a good thing. I, I wish this stuff would happen more often, not just from the University of Michigan, but from whether it be MSU or. Uh, uh, I don't know the Tigers or the Pistons or the Lions or anywhere. I mean, I, look, I'm I'm for freedom of speech and you know expressing uh, your opinion on stuff. But there, when you're a journalist, uh, you have a responsibility, and there's a lot of knuckleheads uh, out there. And it sounds like this guy was absolutely one of them. I just have one question though, because it sounds like that this had been going on for a long time. What was the final straw? that led to Michigan all of a sudden releasing this statement, essentially just disavowing the guy from existence. Yeah, I think it was, well, I mean, this goes back to, if anyone knows the history of chat sports, it's kind of, and there's a, there's a terrifically researched uh, piece with a ton of interviews, Yoder's on the record in it. Um, 
talking about how I think Sports Illustrated uh, or what's it, the Cauldron? Chat Sports tried to acquire uh, the Cauldron back in the day, and it is one of the wildest stories that you'll ever read. So definitely check that out. Uh, it, it wasn't. I mean, this was not a public letter that Michigan sent out. This went out to players and uh, and families of players, and I'd, I'd have to imagine recruits as well. Uh, there was something earlier in the week, and I'm not really sure too because honestly, I didn't even block the dude. Uh, I just kind of muted him because I feel like when you mute someone, then they're yelling at a brick wall, whereas like they're yelling at a brick wall that they can't see. Whereas if you block someone, it gives them the satisfaction of knowing that they pissed you off. So, um, yeah. A little look behind the curtain there. Sometimes when I don't answer some of you people, it's because I don't see what you see because you're we're not because you're psycho. Um, love you though, but I think what it was is there was something with a recruit last week where I think one of the recruits, I believe it was Khalil Branham, uh, you know, wished Al Washington good luck in going to Ohio State, and he used a hashtag Go Bucks in it, and I believe that. Yoder said something along the lines of, oh, it looks like, well, this kid is decommitted. And I think it riled up the kid. And, and we've seen stuff before. I mean, there was a uh, sort of a racial uh, thing he said to a fan before. I think it was just, oh, yeah. it was a combination of things. I, I think this goes all the way back. Chat sports, what they used to do, and this is, I mean, Yoder admitted this in that article on Yahoo, was that they, they would, inv- because they would inv- uh, invent fake writers to put stuff out there. And they called it "quote unquote" growth hacking because that's what startup companies do, or something. I don't know. I don't understand all of that. But uh, there used to be a guy named Ace Williams who wrote for Chat Sports. Uh, that was a Michigan guy, and I, I think they were the outlet that said that Michigan players were um, were high during the game that they lost to Appalachian State. Which, if you know anything about how pot works and how the human body works, like that's really just not possible. Uh, so that, I mean, that's just fake news, stuff like that. And I hate to use the term fake news, but that's really when we talk about fake news and those, those websites that you see Facebook cracking down on and things like that. Um, that's kind of what they've been now. It looks like they've kind of gone more to video and really what they, what he's done is just rip stuff off from the pay sites and things like that. And, um, kind of hedges bets with a lot of it. Like, I think it's just, it was just a damaging and the other thing is, is that he would do his little show in front of a green screen uh, that looked like he was inside of Schembechler Hall. It, it was horrible. Like it looked horrible. If you've been inside the the museum there, it, like you could tell that the angles did just didn't you know match up or anything like that. But um, I don't. Know, I think they just kind of were tired of it. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it came behind the scenes uh, from either a media member or a player kind of badgering them to to put a statement out on it. Um, I don't know, man. Like it's all the guy we've already talked more about it than I'd like to admit and and like to say that we were going to, but the guy was a career scam artist, a career grifter, a wishy washy. um, You know, it's, he's no better than a lot of these other anonymous Twitter accounts we see, except, you know, he was backed by investors and and things like that. So the dude kind of cowered in all of it, set his Twitter to private Blocked a lot of people, uh, you know. It's he's. I it probably doesn't. This probably won't hurt him with his audience, but I'm glad the fringe people kind of the book is out there on him now. So, um, like I said, we're gonna put that list together of of reputable sources and, and outlets and things like that because there are a ton of them, and we're not afraid to like 
I'll st- you know, we'll, we'll steer you in the right direction. We don't we don't really break news or anything like that. So I'm not really worried about like giving kudos to other people or, or things like that. I mean, there's a lot of good people on this beat, a lot of people that work very hard. So um, that Michigan even had to put something out on it is pretty. I don't know. It's annoying. It's, it's kind of upsetting because in a way it kind of feels like the dude got what he wanted out of it. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure that my official statement out there was that um, the guy was a major shithead and I'm glad he's gone. Or at least that Michigan has kind of casted him out like Thor out of Asgard. <laughs> there's our there's our Marvel, Marvel reference for uh, tonight's show. Yeah, we always but, have one. <laughs> We always have we always have at least one. So uh, all right. So we've Sorry, got. I felt like Jerry Springer. Like, and now for my final thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're so, just getting started. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We've got a lot to get to here. Um, got to start off with the big news. Uh, I would imagine Josh Gaddis. He's got the uh, fan base fired up right now for a multitude of reasons. You know, when we heard about Josh Gaddis, I'm gonna be honest. I didn't know much about Josh Gaddis. Uh, when the hire was made, you know, looked into him a little bit. He, he's been on some good staffs with Alabama last year. Uh, he was with Penn State for about three years under James Franklin and, and did some good things over at Penn State. But he's been, uh, you know, with the with the tweets, the speed and space, speed and space, man. It's got the fan bases riled up. His tweet has got everyone going. I almost feel bad for uh, Anthony Campanile because this is a pretty good hire on the defensive side, and that's where Michigan needed to replace Greg Madison and now Washington. But uh, everyone is very concerned about this offense moving forward. And Josh Gaddis, you know, Chris, uh, when you heard about this, you know, what what kind of were your thoughts when you saw that Josh Gaddis was going to be coming to Michigan? Uh, initial reaction was, uh, let's hope this isn't a repeat of Nussmeyer, which I, I'm not uh, – and I'm being tongue-in-cheek there. I'm I, – I, don't really believe that that dumpster fire will happen again. But, I mean, to be honest, I what I thought of it was, uh, yeah, it'll be great if they win the Big Ten. I mean, it, it, that sounds very simplistic, but uh, the, the, the goal is, uh, or the hope at least, is that he comes here, they open up the offense, uh, which they desperately need to do if they want to win big games. And um, they have... Uh, this is one of those times where it feels like all the pieces are in place. They have an experienced quarterback coming back. They have uh, a strong core of wide receivers, uh, potential and uh, NFL talent at uh, in their receiving core coming back. So uh, it feels like the right time for uh, to finally, I mean, it's been the right time, but it feels especially right now like it's the right time to open up the offense. But um you know, I, I know that there's a lot of people really excited about this and go, dude, go ahead. I, I don't, I understand the excitement, but I've just, I've been through this. So we all have been through this so many times before so many different coordinators have come and gone here. And, um, you know, for, for the last 15 years, there's been a lot of, a lot of coordinators that have come and gone, some good, some not so good. And this, uh, hopefully is one of the better hires, but, uh, you know, to be determined if, uh, He'll be able to 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 leave him lead him to the promised land, and hopefully he does. But I mean, it's it's hard to complain about the hire itself. It's just my excitement uh, levels are not super high, and that has nothing to do with the hire. That's just me personally being just pessimistic. 
Yeah. What about you, Anthony? I know you were pretty excited about it, or you're, at least you had, I don't know if excited is the right word, but you had some very good things to say about Josh Gaddis. Yeah, I mean, in theory, it is exciting, um, because I'm just going to read his tweet that kind of had everyone into a, a little bit of a tizzy here on Sunday, was that uh, Josh Gaddis put out there, and he's he's a, I've been told that he's a great Twitter follow, uh, even going back to Penn State and Alabama, so like, guys, definitely get on that, because um, the man knows how to create uh I might need to take some advice from him in terms of like social media engagement practices, because I mean, this tweet he sent out on Sunday, you know, 991 tweet retweets as we sit here right now, 5,600 likes. And this is what he said. He said the building blocks for Michigan offensively one, be explosive, explosive in all caps Two, protect the football and who has it three, be aggressive and score. And he says DNA plus scheme, Plus confidence equals uh, it was a bunch of explosive uh, emojis. With hashtag speed in space and go blue. In theory, this is what I've told you guys. Really, it seems like kind of for months now uh, is what Michigan needed to go to, to to give the reins to a younger guy. Sounds like he's going to have play. I don't know if he'll have play calling autonomy, but it sounds like it's kind of his show here. Um, you know, the reports on Twitter before we recorded this were that he could make as much as 1.5 million. And that's certainly like, that's not someone who's just going to be, you know, a voice in a committee. Like that's what you pay your offensive coordinator to be. So, uh, you know, I, I think in theory, yeah, it's a, it's a very good hire. Um, you know, if you can, the thing about we're in the coaching search cycle right now for both college and the NFL, and it seems like everybody can kind of spin the hire their team makes as, a good hire, a great hire, what have you. Like we see a ton of that, even if it's really not necessarily a great fit. But, you know, when you look at what Gaddis did at, at uh, Alabama this past year, you know, you Michigan had one player who had more than 40 receptions this year. That was Donovan Peoples-Jones. Alabama had five players who had more than 40. We had Jerry Judy who sure. had, I think, 68 catches for 1,300 yards and four, 14 touchdowns. Now, mind you, a lot of that is inflated because Alabama was, you know, put a video game numbers with Tua back there, and they played a lot of really not so great teams. But still, I mean, those numbers kind of speak for themselves. And when you watch Alabama play, and mind you, I know they got blown out uh, by Clemson in the title game. But I told you guys, like when we recorded our show last week, watch what those t- those two teams do. They're able to open up. They're able to go down the field. Both those teams had very young quarterbacks. Still, Michigan's going to have a more experienced quarterback than that. They trust their quarterback to make plays down the field, but they don't forget the power run game. Like that's still in their repertoire. Um, the thing about Gaddis is that so interesting little background on all of this. Uh, nobody in the Michigan community ha- had even heard his name as a possibility until it dropped dot, dot, dot sort of except for me. Like I, this is not a flex. I don't mean it to be a flex. I had gotten word earlier in the day that Michigan was talking to younger offensive minds to be their next coordinator and that Gaddis was someone they spoke to, but he was going to Maryland. I wasn't able to get that confirmed anywhere. And then it drops. So I was like, Oh, well that's kind of cool. Almost had, almost had like the first story ever that Mason brew is broken. So um, damn the one that got away, but we're, we're almost, Hey, the fact that that was in our lap, then we were almost there is like, I'll, I'll take the W there. Um, that's like, like uh, I said, not a flex, but um, damn, 
I need, I need, I need more. I, I needed someone. I need someone just to answer a text message, and I couldn't even get that. So, <laughs> I, I want to go back real quick though to something that you said, Anthony, about play calling autonomy. We don't know if he's going to get that, but we do know that you know we we've mentioned it here is that Don Brown is the head coach of the defense. That's what we know. Jim Harbaugh doesn't have a lot to do with the defensive side of ball at Michigan. He trusts Don Brown. Are we ever going to see that on the offensive side of the ball? Because this is Jim Har- Jim Harbaugh is an offensive guy. Like he is an offensive coordinator by nature. Are we ever going to see the trust for assistance that we hope that he'll give to someone that has a creative mind like Josh Gaddis? But you know, uh, all the reports that that came out, you know, after the bowl game, uh, like from Zach Gentry and stuff, is that. These guys were, were the focus all week long in the game plan, and then the coaches kind of panic on the offensive side of things, and they revert back to going three tight end and, and, and body blows and whatnot. Are we ever going to see you know Jim Harbaugh? Jim Harbaugh really doesn't have the ego that a lot of people think he does when it comes to uh, delegation on the coaching staff, but at the same time, like I, I, I just can't really bring myself to think that he will just give up his scheme in and to pretty much install yeah, something and here's the new. Thing. It's not, I think it's misconstrued as an ego. I think really it's just stubbornness and hardheadedness. I don't think that's necessarily an ego thing. An ego trip would be thinking that like your, your rivals down the road, just rearranging the deck chairs of your offensive staff, not hiring or firing anyone <laughs> and thinking that that's going to work out because it's worked out before. That's ego, and that's being stubborn as hell. And I think what, not to go off on too much of a tangent here, but like Mark D'Antonio did what everyone was worried and everyone said that Jim Harbaugh would do. So I think that Jim Harbaugh deserves credit for like, you know, going out and getting a 34 year old guy to be your offensive coordinator. Like that's pretty, that's pretty ballsy. And that's the one in one tweet, one tweet that Josh Gaddis sent out spoke more about was more of an emphatic, you know, how do I put it, statement on what Michigan wants to be offensively than anything that Jim Harbaugh has ever said, than anything that Pep Hamilton has ever said, than anything Jed Fish or or any of those guys before Tim Drevno had ever said. So, like, they're being pretty – and, again, it could – like, this could all be window dressing. And to answer your question, question, uh, Luke, when are we going to know? Like, honestly, you're not going to know until – October, they go play. I mean, they play at Wisconsin September 21st. I don't think you're going to need your up tempo, you know, offense to to win that game. Uh, October 19th at Penn State. Like we're we're look we're talking mid to late October before the big games are even there. So that's the thing we've talked about before. Like even if Michigan comes out on fire and wins their first whatever it is seven or eight games before they play Notre Dame, Michigan State, Ohio State, all games they have at home, mind you nobody's I can't I can't believe that things will be different until I see it now like I said in theory this is this is good it it mark it checks a lot of boxes off of what I've said I've wanted to see what we've talked about uh, as wanting to see out of this offense moving forward you know it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting uh like I said I don't know when we're gonna know what the difference is I don't know when push comes to shove is Jim Harbaugh still going to be holding that big that big play sheet and and calling things in and, and making the call? 
maybe. I don't know. Uh, I'd like to think that, listen, I mean, Jim Harbaugh, I've said this before on here too. He's been on the record saying he aspires for his program to be the NFL's 33rd team in terms of the way they approach the game, the way that, you know, they're obviously they're going to send a lot of guys to the league every year. If you want to send guys to the league, you have to tailor your strengths to the players that you have. Um, that's what good coaches do. That's what that's what great coaches do. Good coaches can win nine or ten games a year with with their style and what they have. But the great coaches adapt. They, you know, they they tailor the offense to what their talented players are. And when you look at Michigan next year, you've got an athletic tight end and Nick Eubanks. You've got three NFL caliber wide receivers. And whether it's, I mean, I assume that Shea Patterson will be your starting quarterback, but whether it's him or Dylan McCaffrey or uh, maybe Joe Milton comes out of nowhere, you've got a, uh, you've got very capable quarterbacks as well. So in theory, all of the pieces are there, but I'm skeptical because through four years now, four years is a hell of a sample size. We're not talking about one or two years. Through four years, we've seen this team do to its pants in big games. I don't believe that they're past that until they don't do it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to add to that, to be honest. I think it's a good hire. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I agree with it, pretty much everything you said, Ant. I, I that I can't really, uh, I can't, I can't really add much more. I mean, I think that there's, uh, I, I, you have to give Harbaugh credit for the hire. Um, well, let it, me it let is, me ask you guys this: no, is, no. is is this a demotion for Pep Hamilton? I mean, the. I would, I would think so. I mean, I really, guess, what this is yes. is, yeah, Gaddis is technically taking, um, he's Central Michigan's coach. Why, Jim McElwain, He's taking essentially filling the his slot on the staff, but he's going to have more power in the offense than McElwain had, which by extension means that Pep will have less of that. So, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not even convinced that Pep Hamilton isn't going to take an NFL job because. million or 1 million, whatever he's set to make the next few years is a lot to pay a guy who's not a coordinator and who really, I don't know. I don't want to say he's a lackluster QBs coach or whatever it is, but you know, $1 million is $1 million. Like that's, that's a hell of a lot of money for a guy that's not a coordinator, even at Michigan. So I don't know. Um, Now there are still a few NFL teams that are looking for offensive coordinators um, the, the Detroit Lions being one of them. Sorry, Luke. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys will not be one of them, apparently. Um, but yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, it, it, oh my God, hey, Scott Linehan, let's go. Hey, we, oh we've don't get me started. We we've seen it here. Um, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced. Pep Hamilton is still on the staff uh, in the fall. So, but yeah, of course, I, I, it is. By proxy, yes, sort of a demotion for for Pep Hamilton, at least on the surface here. I guess the the one thing that I'm most concerned about, though, is that the first thing everyone points to, and this is not a bad thing, obviously. Um, it, when when Gaddis was hired, and even still, is they talk about his recruiting is like the first thing that's brought up. He's a very very good recruiter, and that's great. That's awesome. And he's a good developer of wide receivers, but I, I think the fan base is excited for the prospect that this offense might actually step into the 21st century. 
you know, and, and the concern is that it's always his recruiting that gets brought up. And we even ran an article on Maze and Brew uh, where, you know, we had talked to uh, Eric Evans of Roll Bama Roll. This was from Dan Plocher, and, and he talked about kind of the fact that he doesn't think Gaddis is ready for play calling duties. So I uh, I want to be excited. I am excited, but I also, like, am, am tempering my expectations. I got a little bit of both of you guys in my feeling a little bit here. But uh, – you know, it, like like you said, Anthony, until they stop doodling on themselves in big games. Yeah, doodling like, on like, themselves really and then expect? like tripping on a toilet paper and like falling into it is probably even more accurate. Um, yeah, I almost wonder, I know I saw that about the maybe not ready for play calling thing. And like that, there's something to be said in all that because I'm just like, I don't want to use the NFL as an example, but like you saw it. I watched that this year with a guy like John DeFilippo in Minnesota. Like you could be a great quarterbacks coach, great position coach, but calling plays like you just have to have a different feel for the game. And not everyone has that. Um, You know, it's, I mean, Jim, you know, you want to use a local guy to a lot of our listeners, Jim Bob Cooter, great quarterbacks coach, not a great feel for the game. So um, yeah, certainly that's a concern. And and we're not going to know until they play someone that's, capable of beating them like that's it sucks to say but when I look at the schedule next year uh, even Penn State like you look at all they're losing and I think the book is kind of out on them like I don't think you play a team that you should lose that you could potentially lose to until you play you know Notre Dame on October 26th so like I said that's let me count here one two three four seven games before your your seven or eight games into the season before you know what the hell your team is, which I mean, I guess that's kind of that way in college football in general, because that that's when teams start to separate themselves. That's about the time when the, those first college football playoff rankings come out. Um, I mean, I, I think at the very least what Josh Gaddis comes in and, and brings is he's going to bring the new approach. He's, he's going to bring, I think Harbaugh will listen to the new ideas. They'll implement those new ideas Maybe Harbaugh calls plays in some of those new ideas. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, it's impossible. It's possible to tell you to, to say. It's impossible to, to gauge. You know, we we see. I can't. We're just at a point with this program where no matter what they do, you just you can't possibly predict how things are going to go because just when you think you've got it figured out and, and you know what a team is and you know what an opponent is, things like what happened in Columbus happened, which like we've talked about before is his was historic in that, you know, if you play that game a hundred times, that maybe happens once or twice, but the chance of it happening is still always there. So like, I don't, there are going to be people in the next nine or 10 months, you know, that you'll see the blogs, you'll see the articles that say, this is definitely going to work or this definitely isn't going to work. The truth is like, nobody has a damn idea how this is going to go. And if that's a cop out and that's a way out of a conversation, that's fine, but uh, I think all you can really judge it on is the idea behind the hiring and, and if he's qualified. Uh, I think this is a guy – I think Gaddis wants to be a head coach eventually. So the thing of it is, is I don't think he's going to be at Michigan very long because, A, it's either going to bomb or he's going to be successful and someone someone will hire him to be a coach. So um, I think either way, people are going to know pretty quickly where this thing is headed moving forward. This is a big – you know, pretty big crossroads for them and – I think that they took the right approach, whereas maybe their rivals took a step back. 
<laughs> you know what's funny is that we've been we've been pushing the whole basketball school thing a lot, you know, and, and the basketball program is off to their best start program history. We just spent the first half hour of this show talking about a guy whose name I just learned when Michigan hired him to be the offensive coordinator. Yeah, so let's let's the guys, way it is. You guys wanna you guys wanna transition to basketball a little bit? Or do you want to talk about Anthony Campanile? Anthony Campanile right now, other than that he's a young guy that I, I believe has worked with Don Brown that has done a pretty good job with, with defensive backs. So uh also how about how about Boston College, man? So you've got you've got Don Brown, Anthony Campanile, and you've got Ryan Day all in at Michigan and Ohio State. Yep, like, they go like just seven cranking five, out eight, coaches. Every year. I don't get that. Um yeah, Every year. I guess my Every last thought on Gaddis is that I think earlier in the day, like before before any of this stuff was on anyone's radar, um, I, I had quoted a tweet from the Mason Brew account where um, you know, our SB Nation, I believe Stephen Godfrey was the guy who said, oh, Alabama wide receivers coach Josh Gaddis is expected to leave. Uh, and this was smart on his part. He said he was expected to leave for a – coordinator job at a different school that was just before the stuff the reports of maryland came out but i think i think maybe he may have known what was going on so smart of him to hedge his bets there but i'd quote tweeted and said oh geez what's going on at alabama all these coaches leaving uh so what's wrong with the program like kind of just being an asshole about it <laughs> little did i know that like three or four hours later like that that would be the guy that michigan would be the place where this guy ends up so um like I said, I, I said it earlier, I think <laughs> when you talk about what Michigan lost this past week, I mean, yeah, Ohio State pushed a couple of good recruiters away, and I think that's what they are. They are guys that recruit Ohio very well, and that's fine. But I think the way everything broke down for Michigan, and there's still a few hires to be made, I believe. Um, I think overall that week, last week was a, was a net positive for them, uh, especially even if the defense takes a little step back the offense taking a step forward is the most important thing for this program moving forward. If they plan on competing at a higher level and winning some more of those bigger games. So uh, yeah, um, I am on board with what, you know, I'm not, I'm not driving the bandwagon, but I am on board with the moves that they've made in the last few weeks. Well, I can't wait to see how it kind of all plays out. That's for sure. It's, it's going to be another fun season. You know, when you look back at this season, I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, it disappointing last two games, but it was a lot of fun while we were in the midst of the revenge tour. And we are right now having a lot of fun on the basketball side of things as Michigan is off to their best start in program history, 17-0, and and this team has won 31 of their last 32 games. And I, I want to bring this up. Chris, I, I saw this, and I wanted to save it. For the show, I, I saw that you had a tweet last night, and, and I don't have it verbatim here, but I, I saw you, you listed all the accomplishments about this Michigan team, how they're 17-0, and they've beat everyone but two teams by double digits and whatnot, but yet th- there's something about this team that you don't necessarily feel confident about. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah, you, you basically got it. Um, it yeah, and uh, I guess going right into it, look, a lot of it, I'll admit, a lot of it doesn't necessarily have to do with the team as much as it does my own personal psyche. Uh, 
You've been hurt too much. What's that? Said you've been hurt too much. Yes, and uh, dude, really, this year's football team scarred me in a way that I don't know I can if I can ever get over. <laughs> Again, I'm being hyperbolic there, but still, I, I, I was so all in on that team, and not just all in, but it was because I, I genuinely, genuinely thought. They were they were the best team in the Big Ten. I genuinely thought they were going to beat Ohio State. I thought they were going to win the Big Ten title. And I thought they'd give Alabama a nice run and lose. And I was so wrong. And, you know, uh, people bring up, like, Ant, you brought up the Ohio State um, game. You know, you play that game a hundred times. Uh, that type of result only happens once. Uh, I, I disagree. They might not give up 62 points, but I don't think there was any scenario in which that team and that coaching staff was going to go into Columbus and yeah. win because they were scared. And you don't win when you're scared. But as far as just the basketball team, I think um, go- going back to that, look, the, what they've done is remarkable. And I feel like such a stick in the mud because I, I don't want to uh, d- discredit that. It's amazing. They're seventeen and zero, guys. I mean, they and really, the as far as tough games, uh, the only close game they had really was uh, Northwestern on the road, and they won. Um, and they've beaten everybody. But I think it, part of the reason why I can't get as I don't know, I, I just can't get as into it right now, is because. Last season, they had, uh, with the exception of of 1989, um, and, and there will be people who will argue this point, but I'll I'll defend it. Last year, besides 1989, they had the greatest season in the history of the school. They won more games than any team in Michigan basketball history. Uh, they beat every team in the Big Ten. They kicked Michigan State's ass twice. They won the Big Ten tournament. You know the accomplishments, right? It was it was for all intents and purposes a dream season. Right? And they are 17 and 0 right now and they look really good. But it's hard for, I, I it's hard for me to put uh, my f- complete confidence in this because at this point the only way for this season to be considered a success is if they win the whole thing. And that's so difficult to do. If it was easy, they would they wouldn't have gone 30 years without doing it. But it's almost like I don't want to put my heart into it because I, I feel like there's no way it can possibly turn out positive. But this is – I know this team, they are special. This team can play with anyone. This team can beat anyone. As of this recording, Duke is in a dogfight with Syracuse. Duke doesn't play defense. They give up like 90 points a game. right? And to me, they are the only team – competition wise that I think can beat Michigan on their best day. Tennessee, get the hell out of here. Virginia, I have zero faith that Virginia can win a, a one game in the NCAA tournament, let alone four, five, or six. It, there's the Duke is the only team I think on their best day. And Michigan State, probably the other team that I think on their best day can beat Michigan. Uh but you know, I, I don't it's hard for me to to like I say, and I keep repeating myself, but but to put my heart in it because it's championship or bust at this point, and uh, anything other than 
winning the national championship is a disappointment. And I think this is the be- this Michigan team right now is the best team in my lifetime uh or the team in my lifetime that I think has the best chance of winning a championship. And I can only think of two maybe three other teams where it was win the whole thing or bust. Maybe this team the 2013 Tigers, those are the only two that I can think of really where it's it's championship or, or failure. And that's such weird and new territory for Michigan basketball. And and as far as just the, the team itself, I think that there, there's still inconsistencies with their offensive play. Last night was better, but uh, I also worry about some of the teams they've played. I don't think, you know, Purdue was a nice win, but Purdue turns out to be meh. North Carolina is very beatable. Villanova is has been playing better, but is very beatable. I, I don't know if this seventeen and zero stretch, which is amazing, yeah, I, I see is that. as impressive um, as some people are making it out. Here's going to be the ultimate tell about this team, and I think you've sort of alluded to this before. I think the last time we recorded was that it's a team that when you think they should win by twenty five or thirty are kind of winning by like 14 or 15 or something like that. Now they beat Northwestern by 20 uh, Northwestern without Vic law kind of was, it's kind of going to be an uphill battle for them anyways. Um, and and they got burned in that game by, they did the exact same thing they did in the first game. We're going to leave Xavier Simpson open. We're going to leave John Teske open and let these guys shoot and try to beat us. Well, they made their shots and they ran you out of the building. Um, I, I think the tell for this team is going to be, when they lose, because I do think they will lose at some point. It could be as early as Saturday um, when they go to Wisconsin. When they lose, what is it? One, what is it going to look like when they lose? Like, how is it going to happen? Are they going to, you know, is the defense going to, def, you know, falter? Is a team, are they just going to, their shot's not going to fall? Are they going to get run off the court? Is it going to be a close loss? Like, I think that that's, you always want to see how a team does when facing adversity and basketball is a game of runs. Like you see adversity in a game. They went up 10, nothing against, uh, against Northwestern Northwestern fights right back. And I thought got it to 12, eight or something along those lines. So like there's adversity in games, but I'm talking the adversity that lingers for a few days. When you lose a game and then have to sit on it, how do you respond to that? So I think that's going to be telling. Uh, I don't think this is a team that's going to go undefeated. I, I don't think, Every game in the Big Ten, even in, this seems like really a two-horse race in the Big Ten. It's Michigan, it's Michigan State. And it kind of feels like everyone else right now. But I, I don't think that are, there are any teams who are like super bottom feeders. I, I think that everyone can give you a fight on any given night. So there, a lot of these games are going to be closer than maybe they they feel. Even that North you know Northwestern on Sunday, Michigan wins by 20, but they had a 10-0 run to start the game and a 10-0 run to close out the second half, or the first half. So... Outside of that seven or eight minute stretch, it was a pretty even game uh, to a certain extent. So, um, yeah, I, I totally get those concerns. Uh, I think that we're not going to know. I think it's going to be very telling about this group once they taste defeat because they've lost once in, I think if they win the next five games they play, they will have not lost a calendar year, which is insane. It's, that's so crazy. Uh, but at the same time, I know I've been pretty high on them. Maybe... I don't want to say higher than most because everyone is pretty on board right now. Nuts. But that's absolutely kind of feels to me. Yeah. You know, I know we've seen like juggernaut Kentucky and Duke teams before and, and Duke's got a team like that this year with, you know, three talented freshmen who are probably going to be the top three picks in the NBA draft. But like you said, they don't play defense. I feel like on any given night, if one of those guys doesn't have a good night that they're, 
they could get popped. Whereas Michigan, like, who do you who if you even had to say who Michigan's MVP right now was, could you? Like, cause you take I mean, four four starters scored in double figures on Sunday night. Jordan Poole wasn't one of them. Like he's their most explosive offensive player when it comes to what he can provide from beyond the arc and all that. So to me, this feels they're starting to me no. to feel like the Villanova team that beat them last year, where they just have so much and they just they just overwhelm you. They're they're gonna probably lose a few games. I mean, it's they're six and zero in conference. They've got fourteen more games to go in conference play, plus the Big Ten tournament, which you figure they'll play at least two or three games there. So there's. 17 games coming up or whatever before they even get to the NCAA tournament. They're probably going to lose three, four of those games. I mean, everyone's liable to have a stretch where they go, you know, two and two or, or three and three in a certain stretch of games and people will panic, but um, great teams usually regroup and go back on a run. So um, I'm still very confident in them. Uh, I, I still think the arrow is pointing up for them. I think if you, if you get what they got out of John Teske and, and Xavier Simpson's hitting his open shots and, I don't think he's missed a baby hook all year. If those guys are if those guys are playing like that, good luck. Like I don't think a team in the country can beat them when those two guys are on because chances are if those two guys are on that a couple other guys have plenty of opportunities as well. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm not um, there. Those those concerns are always there, uh, but I, I feel like when you look at the character of the guys in the team, the coaches that are in place, uh, even John Beeline, <laughs> the thing that's striking to me is that he knows what this team is like, he can't say it, but he's, he's, he kind of struts into the media room a little bit now, sort of like, you know, the, the gif of Vince McMahon walking down the ramp, you know, he's got a little bit of a, it's a little bit of strut to his step. I won't lie. He knows his team is good. He knows they have to get better still, but um, they have something special here. And, and I don't, you know, is it championship or bust? I mean, in college basketball, it's so hard to get to the national title game. Like to me, like, I feel like, I feel it's like elite eight or bust. You get, you play for a chance to go to the final four, and then see what happens from there. Because I think once you're playing in that third weekend of the NCAA tournament, you're talking about something really, really special and something that's, you know, for as frequently as we've, as we've seen Michigan do it under John Beeline, frequently, they've done it twice. But, you know, as much as we've seen it now, it's very hard to do. So um, that's kind of where my expectations are at right now. And 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 that's, that is you know, that is fair. I mean, maybe I'm probably being, I, I am being too harsh with the, and, and Luke, I'll let you jump in, jump in here in a second, obviously, but, but um, I'm, I, I am admittedly being a bit too harsh with the championship or bust, but, but one thing that you brought up Ant, is um, how the, you asked the question of who's this team's MVP so far, and you can't really answer that. And that is that there's a, a positive to that, but per usual, I also, I also see a negative aspect to that where, I don't I think this team has five or six really good players and they play really well together. But on the in those games where as a team they might not collectively be playing well or not coll- or collectively not shooting the ball well, I don't know if they have that one take over the game type of player. I look at obviously 2013 I mean, how many moments when uh, the game I think of uh, against Michigan State at home, they didn't make a three-pointer all game. Stauskas got elbowed on the face and got taken out like two minutes in, and Trey Burke just carried them uh, in that game. Last season, in the Final Four, they played like garbage, but Mo Wagner had the game of his life. He was their go-to guy. 
I I worry that this team doesn't have that one go-to player. Now, there is obviously the reverse. Well, they play well as a team. You can't just focus on one player. But you're going to have nights as a team collectively where you won't play well. And I wonder who's going to be that one guy that they that has the ability to step up and go for 20, yeah, 25 when nobody else is playing well. I think Poole is the most likely candidate. But we've seen him have small stretches where uh, where he goes away for for time at times. Uh, I don't think Matthews is the guy. Uh, he's not a good enough shooter, and he travels every other time he touches the ball. Uh, Brasdakis is is great, but has gone away at points, and is still a freshman. Uh, so I, I you would think it would be Poole, but I don't know. They I, I feel like that that kind of worries me a bit that there's not that one. Uh, guy that the offense runs through. Yeah, and, and the thing of it too is it's weird to say, but like it kind of feels like 17 games when, you know, let's just say conservatively, 10 of those games have been teams that just have no shot of beating you. It kind of feels like the sample size isn't big enough yet. So, right. and at the same time, you know, it, it's been impressive what they've been able to do. Um, I think, I mean, they're taking it one game at a time, one practice at a time. I mean, John Beeline said it on Saturday. He said, that, you know, practice on Saturday, uh, excuse me, before the uh, the Northwestern game, he says he, did, he he doesn't think they made a three in the entire practice. And then they come out and they shoot like they did, you know, guys like Simpson and Teske shoot like they did on Sunday. So you just never know. Um, you know, I think I certainly think there's something to they're not being the go-to guy thing, but – like you said before, I, I think that there are guys, there are, you could make the case that anyone in the starting lineup could potentially be that guy in any given night. Now, if you need a big shot, late, like, you're probably not going to Teske and Matthews isn't really a shooter. So like that leaves the other three guys. Simpson can be a streaky shooter. Uh, Jordan Poole had, goes through hot stretches and cold stretches. So I, I see why the concerns are there. That's why I said like, I want to see, when this team loses, because they will lose, you just have to hope it's not in a game that means too much. Uh, but when they lose, I'm really interested in seeing how it happens. Uh, because, you know, I get that the one thing that's the constant all that is their defense. Even if their defense, like, I, I don't, I still see their defense being bad in any games, which is why I feel like they're always going to be in, you know, I don't think they could really be a team that loses ugly. I think they could lose some close games for sure. But um, the way they play defense, the way they, they fight for loose balls and, and play for each other. Yeah, I think the depth is certainly a concern at this point, which is why I know that they, these guys, the young guys, have have got to earn these reps in practice. You can't, you can come out and play like Brandon Johns did against uh, Indiana, but like I said, you 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 have to earn it in practice. And if these guys aren't playing well in practice, it doesn't not bode well for their chances to get into a game. But they need that game experience for them to go out there, uh, you know, and show themselves as a, as a depth piece. So. Like I said, uh, there's a lot of basketball still to go. I mean, it's still January. Uh, you know, Final Four is the first weekend in April. So there's we've got still well over two months, two and a half months before we're talking we're talking super, you know, high expectations, aspirations. So there's a lot of time. Um, you know, I think that uh, I'm, I'm definitely through 17 games. Can't discount best start in school history. It's good on them. Great look. Good showing all around. Uh, there's still some work to be done. But right now, I don't think that 
I think it's that in Michigan State right now, and Michigan State's arrow is pointing up too. So, um, you know, looking forward to – it's pretty cool that, I mean, those those two teams are going to play late in the conference schedule twice, usually around the time they start peaking. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to be in for I, a really fun finish down the stretch here. Oh, I was just going to say that I am – you mentioned it, Chris, that I, I don't think it's talked about enough either is, is the fact that you said they got six guys who are really, really good. They play really well together, and I agree. But as soon as someone like Austin Davis has to come in, Michigan gets vulnerable, especially defensively and actually even more so offensively. You know, and and maybe, you know, Brandon Johns had the one good game against Indiana. We haven't really seen him a whole lot since. So the lack of depth and then the lack of outside shooting and usually lack of outside shooting while you're still winning games is a good thing. But at the same time, can this team hit some big shots down the stretch? You know, that's that's going to be the question. At some point, they're going to need to outscore someone as a team. It's going to be fun, man. And it's it's been a incredibly fun season just getting to watch this team i enjoy watching this team a ton i really do so it's definitely been a pleasure we got a, we got a lot more to get to but uh uh that's pretty much i think that about wraps it up anything else that that you guys wanted to wanted to touch on here but i, I think we pretty much covered all the bases um i guess real quick national title game were we surprised to see clemson take apart alabama like that yes very much so yeah, yeah. I think all, all most of America was um, one one thing I want to point out though. And look, Nick Nick Saban's the greatest coach in the history of college football. But but sometimes, and I've seen him do this, uh, and it's uh, honestly part of it's because they lose uh, so little that when they do lose, the stands out. But I think sometimes he gets a little bit flustered when playing from behind like and and this sounds strange but I don't think they win the SEC title game if Tua doesn't get injured that was just Jalen Hurts coming in and making magic happen but there's been times I remember against uh, Oklahoma a couple years ago in the Sugar Bowl where they had some questionable play calling that year they lost to uh, what's their asses that year they lost to Utah in the Sugar Bowl uh there was some questionable play calling at the year they lost to Ohio State again in the Sugar Bowl. Um, and then against – yeah, it's a weird thing for a lot of SEC teams, actually. I, I posted something about that after uh, Georgia blew their diaper against Texas. but uh, And it was the same way against uh, Clemson. For, for one, uh, Alabama, who recruits out of their minds, and understandably so – how how do they how does every year their kicker suck? And, and that they missed an extra point, and they I, did, I don't think they missed a field goal, but they had kind of a I think a kind of a knuckleball on a chip shot field goal. Or no no no, they went for it on what could have been a uh, an easy field goal, and then they had they faked a field goal, which everyone knew they were going to fake, and I think that was kind of the most surprising element of that game was that uh, I think Dabo just thoroughly out coach Saban. And that's not something that's ever going to happen uh, very often, but uh, dude, credit to Clemson, man. They've done, uh, they've done an unbelievable job building that program. I mean, really who, it, who gave a shit about Clemson until like five, six years ago. 
I mean, they weren't they weren't a blue blood. They weren't they weren't a national power. But Dabo Sweeney's just taking them to heights that no one uh, thought they could go to, and uh, they deserve to win. And they'll probably be right back there next year, as will Alabama. I was uh, like, I I just I never thought I'd see a Nick Saban coach Alabama team get beat that way, you know, and it, it kind of made me feel good about everything that I've seen. Like it, this doesn't absolve, you know, the performances from Michigan, but if it can happen to Alabama at this point, like it can happen to anybody. You know what I'm saying? It, it, and Michigan obviously has a lot of work, but it, it made me, it made yeah. me feel a little bit better, just a little bit, not a lot, but just a little bit better about what happened in Columbus. Just a tad. Yeah, I have nothing to add. <laughs> you guys pretty much hit on all of it. Um, it's not often I'm <laughs> speechless here, but yeah, I mean, Clemson's rise from, you know, they used to be the social media darling of everyone's scorn and, and laughter before they turned the corner. Um, they had a, you know, program changing guy come through into Sean Watson and, you know, you win a national title and you go out, win another one with probably the best freshman quarterback that we've ever seen in Trevor Lawrence. Uh, yeah. I mean, kudos to them. Ho- hopefully that Michigan could be next. Um, I don't know. It's also amazing that Clemson never loses assistance to anyone. Like Alabama is always replacing guys. Um, they're replacing like, seems yeah. like almost their entire staff this year. But like they just they just keep doing it, and, and Clemson, kudos to them as well. Uh, yeah, those two will be back next year, which is annoying. Um, which is why it's just important to set the foundation to to topple those two schools because it it's it's not going to last forever. It's just not like it can't. It's impossible. So someone's got to be waiting there to to wait in the wings. And you know there were other schools that were waiting in the wings before Clemson rose up and Clemson took its opportunity. Uh, you know, Florida state, Oregon have kind of fallen off the map, you know, now Clemson's right back up in there. So um, maybe, maybe Michigan positions himself to do that. Maybe not who the hell knows, but like I said, uh, God, I did the one tweet I had that was before the game was my prediction for the game tonight was, is that you'll be blown away by how far away your program is from even being close to competing on that level. And my eyeballs were correct. Yeah, yes, they were. Yes, they were. Oh, man. But uh, it sucks that college football's over, but at least we got a uh, little NFL left, and then we've got college basketball to keep us occupied. So uh, as we wrap up here, as, as we always do, where can we find you on social media? Chris, I'll start with you. Uh, you can find me at Twitter. At Castellani2014, that's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2014. You can find me on Instagram, that's ChrisCastle95, C-H-R-I-S-C-A-S-T-L-E-9-5. Also, in my Twitter page, there's the link to my uh, YouTube channel as well, the Castellani Losers Club. So, give me a follow there, and uh, yeah, Anthony, to see you. Follow me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. Follow Maze and Brew at Maze and Brew. Follow our show at Brewcast Show. We really we keep saying we're going to tweet from there more. Uh, we're working on it. Uh, we're busy dudes. Okay, we got we wear a lot of different hats, so uh, we'll fire that back up. But uh, 
yeah, uh, follow our, our shows, Amazing Brew Podcast, on iTunes, Google Play Store. We're on Spotify now. You can find us on SoundCloud. Uh, so 2019 will be a very interesting year for the site. So um, hopefully you'll continue to join us, and uh, we make you happy. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Giardi, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D-I. Hopefully you'll give me a follow, and hopefully we can chat on Twitter and on the Brewcast Twitter page as well, I promise. It's it's gonna get rolling here very soon. I do I do have I do have one final message uh, to kind of put a ball on the show and, and end it as we started it with James Yoder talk, if I may. Uh, just mm-hmm. one final statement. <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser. <laughs> No well, <laughs> that'll just about do it. What a way to end the show. We'll see you next week on Brewcast. Sayonara, butt face! <laughs> <laughs>